Welcome to On the Wet Coast, a podcast about sexuality and ethical non-monogamy of every variety. We talk polyamory and swinging, monogamish and open relationships, from dirty, dirty sex to heartbreak. We share our personal experiences and philosophy, observations and theories, what works for us, and where we fucked it right up. Join us on the Wet Coast. Sex work has been in the news a lot recently. There's talk about legalization, the Nordic model, decriminalization, and it can be hard to sort through what all the terms mean. Since the passage of FOSTA and SESTA in the U.S., sexual content on the internet has been progressively quashed, starting with shutting down places sex workers could advertise, but flowing forward until Tumblr was all but shuttered when they were no longer allowed to have sexual content. Various agencies drop the scare words sex trafficking, and the changes are made under the guise of protecting the vulnerable, but has had the opposite effect by forcing many sex workers onto the streets and taking away the resources they used to have to vet and screen clients. I'm Kat Stark, and on this episode of On the Wet Coast, Flick Morrison and I chat with Carrie Hill, a sex worker activist and professional dominant, among many other things, is here to talk to us about why sex work matters and how the rules and restrictions around sex work will affect your life more and more. Welcome, Carrie. Hello. Nice to be here. (laughs) Thanks. Carrie Hill is a sex worker activist and the founder of Empowering Sexuality, a resource dedicated to helping people discover their sexuality free of shame. They are a volunteer at Pace Society, an organization by, with, and for sex workers, especially those most marginalized. They hold a master's in applied linguistics, directing in adult education, and have applied to pursue a PhD in human sexuality at the University of Guelph. Guelph is a hard word. (laughs) Carrie is a vetted BDSM educator through Dr. Gloria Brame's BDSM Education Directory and has been teaching workshops on kink and sexuality publicly and privately since 2012. They are here to actively discuss and advocate for sex workers' rights, equity, stigma, and smashing the horarchy. So yeah, awesome. <laughs> Smash the horarchy. Smash the horarchy. <laughs> I guess we'll be getting into that. Yes, yeah. for sure. So yeah, as I mentioned in the intro, there's a lot of talk about about human trafficking is the big big bugaboo. It's at the, the buzzword, um, and and sex work is not human trafficking. No, 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 no. Um, sex work and um, human trafficking, while they do intersect, they're different things altogether. Um, do you want to talk a bit more about uh, where the uh, where the human trafficking angle comes in, or like where they intersect, where they don't? Yeah, let's see if we can dive into this rabbit hole without taking up all the time. <laughs> So, sex work has to... Part one. Right? Sex work. Part one. The sexening. <laughs> right? Okay, so sex work involves people of legal age who consent. And and consent with sex work is not just enthusiastically, yes, fuck me. It's also about, you know, um, transactional sort of consent where, you know, you make an arrangement that, you know, I'll provide these services and in exchange, some sort of recompense or remuneration happens. Okay. And, and you know, there, there are lots of different kinds of consent. It's not just the enthusiastic consent that we talk about a lot today. Yeah. Um, um, and for a lot of people, that sort of there's an assumption that it means that people aren't really consenting because they're not going fuck yeah, let's do this thing. Yeah. It doesn't just have to be like that. Not all sex workers are crazed about you know making sure that they're fucking like a porn star, making all the noises and being super happy. But at the same time, it's something that people have chosen. Whereas with with trafficking or exploitation, that's what we like to call it in the sex work community. Because okay. trafficking, you immediately get this thought about you know some poor thirteen year old 
chances are, white person, um, you know, being swept away by these evil overlords who are going to force you into, like, this closet and chain you to a radiator and do despicable things and have you fuck 200 people a day. And 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 that's not really necessarily what it's about, right? I, and, and I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but that's sort of the exception rather than the norm. Um, you're more often going to find examples of exploitation in things like the textile industry or the agricultural industry or the hospitality industry, you know, that, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, you know, sex work sort of becomes trafficking in terms of intersection, most especially among the migrant community, because mm-hmm. when it happened, when, when people are trying to, you know, cross borders or relocate or even just temporarily for work, you know, their their migrant status is really the key factor that determines whether or not their conditions are going to be as appropriate as, as one would think as, say, a permanent resident or a citizen and even them permanent residents. Like in Canada, for example, if you have a permanent residency, you can't do sex work, even though it's a legal profession, because it says so on the paperwork. And if you get caught doing it, you'll be deported. Um, With migrants, it goes a step further. Chances are they'll be arrested, um, detained for an indefinite period. Um, They'll be told, you know, how, oh, we can take you out of the industry. And what ends up happening is they're deported anyway. And most of the time, migrants come here because they make more money than they would normally do at home, even in the same trade. Yeah. Yeah. So just a few of the problems with legalization versus decriminalization where it creates multiple tiers of um of criminalization essentially yeah um and and that's sort of like the going argument right now a lot of people are saying hey legalize sex work and sex workers are going that's not the same thing as decriminalization but um decriminalization effectively removes any criminalizing laws or elements that cause undue complication or harm to sex work so just like we saw in canada with decriminalization of cannabis you know everything was sort of lifted and there was this freedom to be able to smoke where you chose buy where you chose you know grow if you so chose and and there were some there was you know minimal effect generally the problem is that you know when it comes to privilege Yes. Um, Freedom is sort of a moving target. Yeah. So, you know, white people are less likely to be harassed than any kind of person of color or, you know, same with cisgender or transgender. Cisgender are more likely to have um, less harassment with what they're doing than trans people, especially trans people who don't necessarily pass as cis people. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, legalization creates a basically a two-tiered system where it allows people to practice their trade if they can afford it. The problem with legalization, and we've seen this also in the cannabis industry, is that um, the prices of, you know, legal cannabis have skyrocketed, and it makes it very difficult for people who are in poverty, who are addicted and needing harm reduction, that sort of thing, to be able to seek the treatment that they need without, you know, going into their pockets even more so when they really can't afford to do so. Um, And it's the same with sex work. So with legalization, there are things that can come into effect, such as um, you'll be told where, when, and how you can practice your trade, and that is indoor and outdoor. So they could say, yeah, you can work indoors, but you can't rent spaces. You can't work in your home. Uh, you can't be near schools, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, they'll go, yeah, you can license, but it's going to cost this much per month or per year or per two weeks. And it falls under these criteria where, say, they can implement a registry, which we've seen before, yeah. and the Internet's forever. So the second your first and last name goes on a piece of paper with regards to the government, 
government. It's there to stay. Um, they can um, mandate um, mandatory testing, which, you know what, in most legalized work, you don't get told to do. Like, if you yeah. work at Starbucks, you're not told, oh, you have to get tested every month because, you know, you might transmit hepatitis or something. Yeah. They don't do that, you know, and that's pretty transmittable, too. And so is TB, but you don't see it happening in regular retail jobs. Yeah. Uh, the second that, you know, a vulva or a penis is involved, it tends to just sort of go the other direction where you want to maintain as much control as possible. Well, I, th- I think that actually has a lot to do with the the conflation between human trafficking and sex work is because there are genitals and orgasms involved that uh, that suddenly, you know, I, I think that the, probably the biggest area where uh, sex work is conflated to human trafficking is survival sex work, where people yeah. are, are desperate. Um, but we don't talk about other people who are trapped in their jobs because yeah. of economics. We don't talk about the fact that if if they don't have sex work that they're doing for survival, they have no means of survival. Yeah, people who work at 7-Eleven are generally doing it for survival, too. They don't <laughs> want to work there, generally speaking. I don't know anyone who works at 7-Eleven who loves their job. And I can say that because my mother, I love you, worked for 11 years as an assistant manager there and she hated it. You know, but you do what you do to keep a roof over your head, to feed your children, to pay your bills. But the second you involve body parts, somehow you no longer have agency and clearly you're being forced into it. Well, there's the anti-sex work uh, slogan, you know, nobody's daughter dreamed of. Uh, uh yeah. No yeah. little girl grew up to want to be a prostitute. Thanks, Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah. which, I, which I don't think is strictly true. No. Um, and also... You know, nobody's little girl dreamed up of uh, dreamed of growing up to work at a Seven Eleven. Of you know, dreamed of being you know a, a manager at Cinnabon. You know, or trapped. working the graveyard shift at London Drugs. Yeah, you know, whatever sewing. You know, oh, happy oh. stuff. Doing and, laundry. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, like you said, most of the most of the human trafficking isn't even for sexual purposes, but for textiles and mm-hmm. manufacturing and and the you know and the exploitation of that. You know, because it makes our cheap T-shirts and iPhones. It's uh... yeah. Thank, thank. We. I am so grateful to the people who produce all of our beautiful things. But you know what? You, your bosses suck, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, why don't we talk about the different types of sex work? Because we've we've touched on it, and and so often when people hear sex work, and I I admit this, you know, where my brain normally goes when mm-hmm. I hear about sex work is I think of like. Uh, prostitution like i think Mm -hmm. about you know penises in vaginas like that is sex work Mm -hmm. but that's really very inaccurate and i mean it is one type but Mm -hmm. it is absolutely not the scope of of sex work so why don't we talk a bit about all the different types of sex work yeah there are lots of different kinds and before I even get into that, I'd like to say, like, not everyone calls themselves a sex worker. It is definitely the buzzword where it does identify all kinds of erotic labor. Thank you, Carol Lee, for coining that. Yes. Um, erotic but, labor is a great, great yes. term. Yes. Yes. Erotic labor is a fantastic term. But, you know... Um, a lot of people do identify themselves as sex workers, myself included. That said, um, there are different um, communities, uh, such as you know the the um, the black, the indigenous, other people of color. They don't necessarily refer to themselves as sex workers, and that doesn't mean that they're not. It's just not how they necessarily coin themselves yeah but that said uh different categories include things like phone sex operations um camming depending on who you speak to pole dancing um peep show performers um let me think here stripping uh professional domination professional submission um sugaring 
you know, there's lots of different kinds. Um, and of course, then you also divide them into, um, you know, whether it's full service or not full service. And full service just means that, you know, genitals are involved and not full service means that, you know, it's not necessarily a thing. And, you know, that also includes things like financial domination, fetish specialists, porn performers, um, depending who you speak to, burlesque dancers. There's so many different kinds. Now, uh, you mentioned sugaring. Maybe we should talk a little bit about... Yeah, let's talk about sugaring. (laughs) (laughs) So, sugaring is a type of sex work where um, usually what you... A lot of of examples that you see in sugaring have to do with things like getting um, university tuition paid or or things like that, where... um, the person who, say, it considers themselves a sugar baby, who is the person who's receiving the remuneration, um, will make arrangements with their sugar daddy or their sugar mommy or whoever um, to, you know, ha- um, dedicate a certain amount of time per week, month, whatever, to um, give certain services, whether they're full service or otherwise. They could just be plain companionship. And in return, they receive, you know, like, say, their tuition or their, their rent might be paid for or they might receive, you know, that designer bed that they really wanted. There's a lot of different ways that remuneration can occur in sugaring relationships, it, and it's really individualized. It depends on what the two people agree to at that time. Now, there are online services that uh, facilitate sugaring, and they they deny that it's sex work. Yeah. Um, yes, very, they do. Very Thanks vehemently. for the hierarchy, by the way. I appreciate that. We, we love that so much. Um, yeah, there are very specific websites, and I'm not sure if it's appropriate to even call them out right now, but <laughs> including very specific um, locally based um, social media websites <clears throat> that <laughs> that will allow um, the discussions or the proliferation of things like sugaring to occur. But, you know, talking about professional domination is taboo because it's sex work. Oh. And there are other websites that will allow sugaring relationships to take place, like, you know, through, through dates or arrangements, sort of like, you know, Tinder, but not Tinder. It's yeah. a different website. Um, where that's totally okay because it's, and I quote, not sex work. But the second that erotic labor is involved, and that happens quite a lot because I've been on those sites, it's still sex work. It doesn't matter how you, how the remuneration takes place and it's none of their business. It's still erotic labor. It's emotional labor. It's mental labor involving companionship of some variety, usually erotic. And that's sex work. That's what it means. Yeah. So you've referenced the horarchy a couple times. Why don't you define that for okay, people so, who might not know? Yes. So the horarchy is not a compliment. Um, horarchy is used to as um, to con- um, to discuss basically how one form of work in sex work is seen as more preferable to other kinds of work. So for instance, you know, sugaring, because we just talked about that, is considered like purer than say survival outdoor sex work. Yes. Right? So, you know, sugaring is okay, example, because, you know, they're just getting their tuition paid. They're low income. They they need to be able to finish school. That's fantastic. But, you know, you look at an outdoor worker and all of a sudden they're diseased and dirty. And why would you ever go there? Yeah. Um, there are plenty of people who I've spoken to who are totally okay going to an escort agency because the girls are clean or going to a strip club because they're not touching them. But, you know, you see people walking down the road doing a stroll and all of a sudden they're like, oh, those diseased whores, who do they think they are? And you hear it all the time. 
time. It's not even just in social circles. The media loves to do it all the time. Look at the stock photos we see on sex work in any place you see. It's, you know, car skirt, car legs, you know, clearly spread in some way, inviting in some fashion, leaning into a car. It's it's ridiculous. Well, I I think that the... um the thing about the the hierarchy is that it ref, it basically reflects how human the people are perceived as. Mm-hmm. You know, like how how important of a person are they, um, and that is reflected in how the media treats them, how yeah. the, how law enforcement treats them, um, as as well as just sort of the. Uh, the social, the degree of socialist stigma yes. attached to it. Yes, and it really feels like the hierarchy really depicts the value of a human being, and it's amplified or rejected in so much as their privilege allows, and especially if you can see it. So, you know, if you see a sugar baby attending school, or you know someone who's a sugar baby attending school, for instance, you know, that's great. They've got, you know, great lives. They, they're probably not harassed by their professors for sexual favors. Yeah. You know, they're probably not harassed by the dean saying, well, you're a whore, get out of my school, you're not welcome here but the second you see say a trans person of color who's really just trying to keep a roof over their head might be on disability maybe not we'll get into that too because there's another section yeah um you know, probably, you know, even just, say, doing $20 blowjobs in an alley somewhere, all of a sudden they're much more likely to be harassed by the cops because they're more visible, as it were. You know, they don't pass as civilians, clearly. Mm. Yeah, I, it's it's just brutal. And, you know, it, it, it reflects on, you know, and amplifies marginalization. It's one thing about decriminalization that unfortunately has a bit of a flaw in itself because there's this big talk especially in social media because twitter is amazing where you talk about decriminalization and it's like this big magical band-aid that makes all the world's problems go away but really what sex work does is it creates this venn diagram of showing all other areas of marginalization so if you remove that all that marginalization is still there in all its varying cycles um and yeah it's great that decriminalization will remove that aspect but who's taking care of the rest of it You know, there's still all these big problems that need to be addressed. And it feels in some ways that decriminalization is putting these big blinders on that allow people to not really think about that. And I'm not saying I'm not a fan of decriminalization. I totally want it for sex workers. I'm just saying that more work needs to be done immediately following when it happens. And I do hope it happens in our lifetime. Yeah, because it I mean, so much of this is is very much, you know, based on on class and how we and we how we see class is a big one. Um, And the same with you know, the decriminalization, um, if we don't take care of the the social aspects of supporting marginalized folks, um, yeah, it, it helps the people, you know, it's a class thing. It helps the people who are higher in the in the structure, in the socioeconomic structure. Um, but it doesn't help people who are falling below. Well, yeah. And that's why equity is so important. Not equality, but equity. Because it, what, is it, what it does is it raises the most marginalized up to the same standard yeah. as the most privileged. And, and that's really what we need. And people seem to be forgetting that. Yeah. Whew. <laughs> yeah. This escalated quickly. <laughs> well, well, you know, the, the, uh, horror is a big thing. And, and like, like a lot of uh, like a lot of things, um, a lot of our language reflects the hierarchy very, very strongly. Yes. Oh, yes. You know the um, the labels that we have for people who do sex work uh, are are also used as slurs for people oh, and yeah. slurs of varying intensity. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know, and the and the uh, 
the the difference between you know uh, uh, calling someone you know a whore versus like you know a, f- a filthy diseased whore you know like there's just so many so many ways of yeah. of using the uh, um, the sort of the the damaging um, uh, associations of the hierarchy as you know as uh, slurs well yeah and unfortunately because there are so many words to describe the nature of sex work they can actually also be used as racial slurs so for instance the word ho is part of the the black and, and brown uh, people of color community and that's beautiful but you know you you hear oh you're nothing but a fucking ho and it's like Okay, that's great. So not only are you referring to someone who does sex work in the negative, you also just use a racial epithet. That's that's just great. Mm. Yeah, or or thought. Yeah. yeah, and and you see it a lot in in TV as well. It's why you often see sex workers who are used as tropes. So they either wind up, you know, being either dead, about yeah. to be killed, or they're like these vindictive people who are clearly going after their clients and robbing them of all their money. You don't really see anything else. It's just horrible. Yeah. Well, and and there's the there there's constantly the uh, the trope of you know, uh, someone, you know, uh, accidentally sleeping with a transgender, uh, sex worker. Oh God. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and it, and it, and it just pops up as a one liner mm-hmm. in so many things. And, um, yeah, I don't think I've ever seen any kind of mass produced show where someone has, and I quote, accidentally slept with a trans person and woken up and been surprised quote unquote by it. And then the trans person hasn't wound up dead in tv it's it's horrific um and honestly you know the more that we normalize talk about sex work and the the fact that quite a lot of people are inherently sexual they need companionship they may not be getting their needs met they might be ashamed of the things that they're relating to identifying with and being aroused by and sometimes it's just good to hire a professional to look at that um understanding your needs and being able to um meet them in a healthy and shame-free way how is that not healthy to society yeah well that's that's the the flip side of the the social stigma of sex work is that even a lot of people in sex positive communities who are very uh supportive of uh sex work and sex workers uh still have you know uh contempt for people who are clients of sex work yes yeah And that's really unfortunate because the clients that I've had, especially my long-term clients, have been just some of the most amazing and beautiful people I've ever met and so diverse. Like any anyone can be a client just as anyone can be a sex worker. And that's why you don't necessarily know. Um, Like my oldest client that I ever had, I think, was 85 and he used to bring me flowers and a bottle of wine every time he'd come and visit. He he would ask to kiss my hand when when he left. It was just the most, oh, it was so beautiful. It was like this, you know, beautiful, genteel, old school courting almost. <laughs> it was just lovely. And it was like, well, wow, you're, you're asking to kiss my hand after I just beat your ass blue. Great. Okay. <laughs> In, in my head, he has a uh, pencil-thin salt-and-pepper mustache. Actually, in this case, not. But, yeah, it, when you think about that, absolutely. Especially the ones where they use, like, the mustache one. Oh, the twirl. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Perhaps a seersucker suit. Um, but, you know, it, it... Your client was Poirot? It ties into the... Um, like the idea with the Nordic model of criminalizing Johns. Um, and 
and I must admit for for a long time until I learned better and and know a lot better now like I had thought about like Johns as like deplorable human beings yeah. and and um you know like just taking advantage of people and all this stuff and it, yeah before I learned and was like holy shit yeah this is quite a uh, a point of view that has been grilled into me since I was quite young mm-hmm. um but yeah like how is it not good for society to have people get their needs met well and- yeah and I grew up exactly the same way you know people who who were doing survival sex work were clearly dirty and diseased and the people who hired them were skeevy and probably criminals or gang members or the ones pimping them out it was just horrible Like, I'm so glad that I learned better (laughs) because look at what I'm putting as that is the umbrella on all of these sex workers. And like, as if they don't have enough to deal with when you and then, you know, that's what everyone is perceiving you as. Yeah. Whether you're closeted or not, whether you're known as a sex worker or not. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I I just mentioned the Nordic model, and that is the model that is used in Canada. Why don't we just define this? For- yeah, not just in Canada. Too. It was originally developed in Sweden, and and what it was basically the aim of it was, and I don't blame them for trying it. Just you know, their intent wasn't the same as their their pitch line was um, they were criminalizing Johns so that you know um, sex workers would be safer. Mm. Like it basically was you know it, in effect to. Um, to prevent exploitation, right? But what it really has done is the opposite. So what it's done is it's chased away all of the people who are really good to us, who we like to see, and replaced them with all the people that we've probably blacklisted at some point or another, going, you know, like, he he pushes boundaries, he doesn't listen, he's disrespectful, this one is known to sexually assault people, and they're coming out going, well, you know, um, let's have a date, and by the way, I want to pay you less, because clearly you're not going to be seeing anyone anytime soon um and that's just been amplified with fosta and sesta like we're really feeling it in canada and i expect in other nordic countries as well it's also left people really open to um being harassed by the cops so like for example as a sex worker under the nordic model you can't share a space with another sex worker so if you wanted to say um rent an airbnb or share your house um, you can't have another sex worker there because that is, in effect, running a brothel. And so you can be arrested for that. Um, if you are a sex worker who lives with your significant other you're, um, and they contribute in some way to rent or you help it contribute in some way to rent, they are benefiting off prostitution and they can be arrested. Oh, my God. It is serious business. And what it's done is, is it's left sex workers very open to actually, in effect, being harassed by the cops. There have been lots of studies that have shown that the Nordic model doesn't only not work, it's a step backwards. So, you know, when when Bedford versus Canada happened, we all celebrated because we're going, hey, it's going to make our life better because they've said that running a body house is uncon- um, and illegalizing that is unconstitutional. And now we still can't. And it's actually worse. <laughs> They, they took it a step forward by exploiting loopholes that were already in that law. So are there um, are there any credible challenges to Canada's current laws? There was a lot of talk about um, challenging the laws. And I, 
I don't know too much about the outcome. Safe to say that they haven't worked so far. Um, I've heard speculation that um, cases have been thrown out um, because, you know, like there was no vested interest or that sort of thing, or that it just didn't hold enough weight. But I don't know if that's fact or fiction. I mean, we all want to hope that, you know, by challenging things, it's going to make things better. But change takes time, right? Well, it took so long for those laws to get It took decades. Like, literally, it took um, Bedford's um, house to be broken into, all her things to be taken in a way, um, the people that were working for her to be arrested, and then, you know, like, at, at least a decade anyway, I think it was actually closer to two, for her to be able to successfully challenge in court, and that was after a succession of challenges. She wrote a book about it, actually, and it's in the Vancouver Public Library. I really recommend reading it. It's so fascinating. Do you remember what it's called? I think it's just called Dominatrix. Okay. Yeah. We'll we'll, uh, yeah. we'll track that down and, and link it in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you, Terry Jean. We love you. Yeah, so since legalization and the Nordic model are deeply flawed, what is the preferred model for sex work? Um, Right now, neither of those. (laughs) Um, What we would like to see is decriminalization, and that is the removal, of course, of any criminalized laws um, that influence how sex work is regulated. We would rather run our own business, thanks. We don't need other people to dictate. We already pay taxes, so let us just do our jobs. But at that point... Um, decriminalization isn't a perfect model. Like, as we're seeing right now with New Zealand, for instance, migrants are still being affected and harassed mm. and deported. They can't, they, they can't work as sex workers um, in accordance with what permanent residency has, which is exactly what's happening here as well. But, well, but wouldn't, wouldn't true decriminalization also um, remove it from those those sorts of regulations. Yeah, well. you would think, but it's not there yet. Um, I know that, you know, they're working on it, right. you know, but no system is perfect, but decriminalization is the best hope and best first step that we've got at this point. Right. Um, the other part right now is basically to tackle, you know, the legislation that, that determines to be, say, a permanent resident or to be a migrant, um, what you can and can't do. You would think that decriminalization would lift that particular barrier, and so far it hasn't yet, but, you know, decriminalization, as any sex worker would see it, would lift that as well. So hopefully if we see it in our lifetime, that will be part of the legislation that's passed. Are there any data on how the sort of general public perception of sex work has shifted over, over the, you know, say, the last 20, 30 years? I don't know per se, but anecdotally, um, there there is a shift. It's just slow, and you see it a lot with, especially in social media. You have a lot of people um, asking questions. Like you never used to even be able to talk about sex work before. So the fact that we can talk about it on a podcast, thank yeah. you again for having me, <laughs> is really magnificent. Um, I love the fact that we're able to discuss these things and not have cops bang down the door and arrest us. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Um, Thankfully, we only have one sex worker here, so we can, yeah, we're, we're good. Yeah, and they're not paying me, so it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but but, but yeah. you know, like un, under under the uh, we'll get into it a little bit more. But under the auspices of of Sesta and Fosta, mm. someone could make the case that we are profiting from promoting sex work, and uh, and and that is yeah. That, yeah, and that is that is why there's a lot of cooling effect that we'll talk about later when we talk about yeah. social media. Yeah, the momentum was really great until Sesta and Fosta passed, which only happened like a year ago and three or four days. I think it was April 8th last year that it was 
officially enacted. Happy birthday. uh, Happy unbirthday. But at the same time, it was like the fact that it was even proposed is what caused things to, it was a domino effect. Like Mm -hmm. um, Backpage was, and and Craigslist personals were shut down long before it even passed the house vote. Yeah, they just started talking about it. Yeah. And they were just like, we gotta cover our asses and and pulled right out. Well, yeah, and it's in the name of preventing trafficking, but what it really has done is pushed um, sex workers into not being able to screen clients. Like, tools have been taken away for safety measures. Um... You know, payment methods have been taken away. So oh, yeah. there are lots of, like, no credit card will touch sex work. Um, a lot of online methods, like Rocketfish, won't take sex work PayPal anymore. Oh, PayPal is notoriously his sex work from the beginning. They, they, yeah. The second that you mention that you're a sex work, they'll shut down your account. And they and they keep the money. That's oh, and they, and yeah, they freeze your account, they take the money, and you're lucky if your bank account doesn't get affected as well. Like, I don't know if PayPal talks with banks, but if they could, they totally rat out everyone. they would um and um oh man there's just there's so much that system fosta has done to turn things in a negative light and it's all in the name of preventing exploitation but what it's done is it's really increased it and and even even like the globe and mail for instance or or um i can't even remember where i saw the last article but it was basically going yeah it's had the opposite effect oops and it was basically the 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 text equivalent of shrugging your shoulders and going okay let's move on like now now for the news at six it was just well i mean the the reality is that um the for a for a for a a small number of people, I think, that who supported these laws, I think that they really did um, sort of fervently want to, to help sex workers and were just misguided and misinformed about the mechanism. For I think for a lot of them, um, it is really just about making sex workers go away. Yeah. Um, and and I, I feel really uncomfortable even saying this because it's just so horrific but it reminds me very much of the AIDS crisis when Reagan was in charge where where he greatly limited um, funding to research access to medicine basically under the notion of you know the problem will solve itself because oh it was just brutal Um, and in some ways I think it's very much the same thing the problem right now is that because decriminalization is such a popular buzzword now politicians coming up to the election year especially in the US are using that word going you know hey you know we support decriminalization but if you look at all the things that they've said before that particular buzzword they're talking about the Nordic model and so it's not yeah or licensing yes and and so it's not just um them saying, hey, I support decriminalization. What they're doing is they're intentionally conflating terms because it sounds more progressive and they know it'll earn them more votes. Yeah. And it's absolutely horrible and hypocritical and wrong. Like, I, I don't even like using right and wrong, but just for the sake of the fact that people, there's an official body count as a direct result of FOSTA and SESTA, yeah. and they're like decriminalization and they don't mean it. That's yeah. not what they mean at all. Well, and I think, you know, so much of it, reminds me of of the abortion argument of like you know having legalized abortion um you know saves lives having access to birth control having you know mm-hmm. good education having all this stuff saves lives but they actually don't want to save lives no they want people to suffer the consequences they want people of their to choices. suffer the consequences of their choices they want sex yeah. workers to suffer they they yeah. get to get on their like quote unquote religious 
high horse and be all like sex is bad and and there's actually deliberate intent so the arguments of like this is this is bad for sex workers yeah. this is harming there is a body count that's not a persuasive argument that's not for a, a lot of people yeah well yeah and and with politicians yes i realize that a lot of them were misguided and sure i'm sure they did think that it was going to make sex workers safer but if they'd actually thought about even talking to the sex work community well, yeah. that would have probably swayed their ideas a little better but no one wants to talk to a sex worker because clearly you know that's part of part of you know patriarchal toxic masculinity hierarchy stuff you know you don't want to talk to like that person i mean like they sell sex for a living yeah what could they possibly know about yeah anything? or in, in 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 case you know in the case of a lot of um i like to call them regressives but you know much more conservative people going oh they sell their bodies well i i still have all my limbs so <laughs> i'm i'm pretty sure that like i've got both my kidneys to my knowledge i don't see any scars anywhere i wasn't laying in a bath of ice cubes anywhere so i'm pretty sure i'm intact well i mean it's like <laughs> the idea that a sex worker sells their body but a coal miner doesn't yeah right and yeah or people in you know in agriculture someone pick, picking the blueberries that's a migrant you know comes yeah. comes here and is you know in the fields doing this really crap work yeah um, um, and they're not, being paid by weight yeah, not yeah, even they, by hour and, and it's usually selling, an atrocious wage they're yeah selling their bodies or you know um athletes like you know, professional basketball players, you know, how are they not selling their bodies? Football players who are coming down with all these crazy head injuries now. Yeah, boxers, people- like, arguably, <laughs> those people are are actually selling their bodies because the cost to their health is a direct result of their actions. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, people who, like, body workers, physical therapists, mm-hmm. like, all this stuff, like, we, you know, this is all, like, you're using your body to do these jobs, and so, yeah, there's just the second that it there becomes like well, the naughty bits yeah. are involved yeah and and and, and I, I love how we're talking about this but in so like in sort of a backwards fashion it almost makes sound it makes sex workers sound like we're lazy because we don't work it's not true (laughs) there is work but what i would like to point out is that in terms of like the career of a sex worker probably only about 15 to 20 percent of the work is actually spent with a client there's administration there's paying taxes there's potential legal fees if you have to consult someone on like hey can i do this legally um you know there there's um there's advertising there's marketing there's keeping up on social media there's networking and and and, like, there's so much that goes into it that people just don't consider. And there's there are quite a few instances that I know of and I have experienced personally where when people have seen clients, it's not even sex. Like, there are some people who, say, have been married for 30 years, just lost their wife, and they just want to hold someone's hand and have a cuddle and, like, have that beautiful bodily intimacy. People get skin hungry. Yeah. And it happens a lot in the trans community as well, that there's just, there's not a lot of physical contact. People get isolated and and they want to be able to have some kind of companionship that will allow them to get through the rest of their day. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of our society is very touch-starved because it's just such a... A thing that isn't isn't valued. And- well, and I don't think people really consider the the implications of people who go without companionship or physical touch. Um, not to say that everyone needs it, but humans by nature are pretty damn social. So yeah. there is that component that needs to happen. And when you fall into marginalized categories, especially if you're in more than one, there's a higher chance that you're going to be more socially isolated. Which is really unfortunate, but it is sort of a fact, at least in terms of being in, like, 
and I say this very loosely, the civilian population, meaning, you know, largely white, largely cisgendered, largely straight population, especially Mm -hmm. if you're out. Yeah. Hey there, this is Bradford. And this is Angela. And we are the Atoms of Love. We're the hosts of By the By, a raw and honest weekly podcast weaving bisexuality with swinging, kink, polyamory, and marriage into a happy and healthy relationship. We discuss topics such as jealousy, communication, and oh yes, adventurous sex. And occasionally, a beatboxing Yoda. It's worse than what you're imagining. It is. (laughs) For us, nothing is off limits as we subscribe to the Try Everything Twice philosophy. And we are always excited to share our experiences and advice with our listeners. So swing on by swingset.fm or wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. So yeah, we've we've talked a lot about how um, these various laws affect sex workers, but it isn't. It's affecting a lot more than sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people who just find themselves like a bit apathetic about why do I care because this isn't me. Um, how is this affecting people? You know, and and how can we? Um, it seems terrible to have to do it, but like, how can we like appeal to people to to care more because of how it will actually affect them? <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. Um, I do honestly believe that if, you know, a certain president wasn't currently sitting in the White House and that, you know, things like FOSTA and SESTA hadn't passed, that the Ontario um, education system would not have reverted to their 1998 model where gender and, you know, different sexuality and different sexual identities didn't exist. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if, you know, A didn't happen, then B wouldn't have happened also. Uh, Um, it would have taken a really tragic coincidence of other events for the reversion to happen such as it did. Um, stuff does cascade. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. The other thing as well is that, um, when, when you talk to people about, sex work people are indifferent because it's not you the thing is though is that sex work is a very wide range of different things and with a wide range of different people with different abilities and different accessibilities so you'll have sex workers that um are chronically ill because it's a flexible schedule you'll have people who are disabled who are able to engage in sex work because it's one of the main ways that they can make an income that will allow them to live Mm -hmm. and then you have you know i know sex workers who are lawyers and and doctors and you know teachers and parents and like they're there people are all over the place who engage in some form of erotic labor and you're not necessarily going to know it like no one's going to look at their mother and go hmm i wonder if she does sex work like it's that's not how it works but that actually is the reality of it is we're everywhere <laughs> well i mean it's interesting you, you 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 mentioned some of the like sort of um traditional affluent professions yeah. but a lot of those professions have been flooded in recent years with mm-hmm. new graduates. And mm-hmm. so for for new doctors, for new lawyers, they it, it is extremely competitive. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of a lot of new doctors and lawyers are driving Lyft and Uber, so it actually makes sense that they would also be doing sex work yep. because 
it, you know, it, you you don't suddenly land yourself a six figure income no. anymore. It's and j- you gotta and you gotta pay off you know yes. a monstrous amount of thousands of dollars of of debt. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Speaking for someone who has a monstrous level of debt. Yeah. And 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 a lot of people think that people get into sex work just because you know it's a way to make money. I have met people who've grown up knowing that they wanted to strip. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like they I've known people who've grown up knowing that they really enjoy having sex and why not capitalize off it in a capitalist system? Why not monetize what you love to do or what you're good at doing? Yeah, uh, like I don't find anything wrong with that, but apparently a lot of other people do. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. Well, people have a lot of opinions about what other people do with their bodies. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If people could just mind their own business, that would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good first step. I, you know, like the first, yeah. the first step is, is tolerance, but the second step is like, you know, acceptance and support. Well, yeah. And, and talking about how do you appeal to people? Well, think about all these people who can't work conventional jobs, you know? So what, what are they going to do? Are they going to be, you know, living homeless in a cardboard box for $900 a month in downtown Vancouver <laughs> or, Will they do something else like say be, you know, sell sex for, you know, say a few hours or a couple of times a day or whatever they decide to do where they can afford a hotel room for the night, where they can sleep in a real bed, where they can go to the grocery store and be able to eat properly. You know, like it's it's not even just about people who are privileged using sex work to supplement their income. It's also about marginalized people who don't have a lot of options in terms of conventional employment where they found sex work to be accessible and lucrative enough that they're able to have some semblance of a normal life. And that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we did reference a, a bit earlier about the, the kind of cooling effect of the, the so-called anti-trafficking laws mm-hmm. on online content. And these are things that have affected, um, affected everyone, not just sex workers, but the, the, really the collapse of Tumblr. Um, and <laughs> yeah, rep Tumblr. That's not going to last much longer. Well, and, and, um, you know, and, and Craigslist shutting down personals and Patreon cutting off content. Yeah. Like the, the um, there, there's YouTube there's, shutting down accounts arbitrarily. Yeah. And, and this is, this is something that was, that was predicted when these laws were still just being drafted mm-hmm. and it, you know, and it's, it's, it's because, it's because the risk to these social media companies for being on the hook for people's content mm-hmm. is so high. Well, yeah, and it's not even restricted to sex workers, too. I know plenty of exactly. people who have been, like, um, especially when FOSTA-SESA had just come out, thing, people uh, things like Google Drive started removing files from accounts. So there was one instance, and I wish I knew who it was at this point. I would tell you off the record. But um, there was someone who is, who is writing their PhD, and they're dissertation had been removed from google drive because it was based on sexuality wow yeah there are really um well-known sexual educators who talk about you know all the kinds of things that we're talking about here um and you know appeal to a wide audience from children to adults who do really great work in you know educating people about their bodies and about consent and their account was just shut down like everything was gone well, yeah. I mean, the, the reality is that the, for for social media companies of that size, the they they are not just going to meet where the line appears to be. Yeah. These yes. laws are so vague yes. and yes. can apply so broadly yes. that they have to overcorrect. They need to go 
Act um, so far beyond the line to make sure that they are at no risk mm-hmm. of, of prosecution. Yeah, and as a result, people are suffering in because not only are they being able to, say, as a sex worker, screen safely or look at blacklists where clients have been, you know, reported as bad dates or whatever, but now sexual educators can't help people who might be questioning their identity. Like, could you imagine yeah. being in a white, straight, upper-class, white-bred suburban neighborhood um, in a cisgendered family, realizing that, you know, you might not actually be, say, a cis boy, and the only way that you can figure out what's going on is by going online, yeah. and then you find, you know, a great YouTube channel that talks about, hey, um, I'm a trans woman, here's my story, this is how I figured it out, you know, you know, you might feel, you know, you might have these, you know, symptoms, like, you know, proverbial checkboxes, and this, you know, supposedly cis boy going, oh my god, that's me. Well, now that is, you know, being at risk of being shut down if it hasn't been already. Yeah. Like, where do people who um, are in a marginalized state or or have questions about their bodies or their sexualities that are deemed unconventional or taboo go when those resources are being yanked for, you know, the purpose of, and I quote, preventing exploitation? When did sex ed become a proponent yeah. of human trafficking? Really? Yeah. Well, and, and it, that's what makes these laws so dangerous. Yeah, and it, I mean, one of the most amazing things about the internet, oh, you know, up to the passage of these laws had been access to this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. it just had given people such freedom and such access. And, and I mean, you know, for us as just, like, garden variety pervs, um, having access to, like, the reason that we're in the community we are and, and how we know people and and have found, you know, our our common folk mm-hmm. is through the internet and because all of this stuff was available and you could just Google stuff and it would come up and you would find your people and you talk to them and, and yeah. you know, it, it a lot of it starting with the It Gets Better project and, um, like, you know, giving queer kids, like, you know, a place to look at it and go, okay, you know, this... this the validation. Um, the validation and, and so much of the stuff that we we write about and we talk about so often people are like i feel less alone yeah um because you said these things that i've thought and and i've had that experience with so many people too of of things that i've read or listened to and yeah that stuff is going away yeah i mean i i'm a bdsm practitioner right so um i joined i i figured this out when i was underage and i had to sort of like keep it hidden because i didn't really know who to talk to um when and up until I became of legal age, and the only way I discovered um, that there were other people like me who weren't, you know, as the media was putting at that time, pedophiles and serial killers, um, I I went online, and this was at an age where where BDSM, this was pre Fifty Shades of Grey, the discussions weren't being had, and and the the um, the situation regarding legality was still a moving target in a very, very gray area. Um, if it hadn't been for me being able to look it up and find local communities, you still had to ask permission to attend meet and greets because they had to know who to expect. Right. They didn't want some person who was like an undercover cop coming in and arresting everybody and taking away kids and the risk of being fired from jobs and stuff. Like it was still very serious. Um, how would I have found that if and and found my people because I literally sat down and was like, 
oh my god my people <laughs> it was incredible being like this fresh baby 19 year old kinkster going oh my god i'm not alone like it was i i remember it it was it was one of those pivotal life-changing moments um if the internet had been around to point me in that direction even though you still had to jump through some hoops to get to that position, yeah. I don't know where I would have been. I don't know what my mental health would be like. And I suspect it's going to be the same way for a lot of people because I think in some ways free internet hit its peak around like 2008 through 2010 where like there was so much stuff going on. FetLife had just been launched in like 07, 08 and like everything was going great and people were actually having conversations and you didn't really have to worry about talking about things on Facebook because you could just go to FetLife and have your little chats and it was like even before FetLife had a chat function. <laughs> but um, it, it was really before social media eclipsed everything else. Yeah. Yeah, like there weren't share buttons at this point. Yeah, it really um, was a golden age. Yeah, it was beautiful. And now that um, Sesta Fosta has really sort of been like this giant cloud that is is like raining on everything, people are going, well, is this going to go away now? Like, what? how do we how do we save this? Mm-hmm. Like sex workers I know who have, who have their own dedicated websites, myself included, have had to go offshore just so that SESTA and FOSTA won't shut down the domains. Because like something like 90% of domains that are .com are owned by the U.S. And the data is stored in the U.S. and the servers are in the U.S. And that happens with a lot of different hosting services. Um, okay, because I had wondered about the end of your website. and uh, yeah, yeah, it's it, Swiss. Okay, yeah. that... that. That is very interesting. And I, um, one of the things I came across when I was looking into this is that like Microsoft who owns Skype, um, will monitor for offensive language and nudity Mm -hmm. so that sex workers can't use it. But again, you talked about the garden variety pervs who are going to, you know, sext with their, with their people. And I, you know, I've had Skype dates with people where we've, you know, jerked off together or, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And, and that, you know, a lot of these things that that people just would never occur to them that would be affected are totally being affected. Well, well and then offline that with hotels yeah. being trained on oh, how to, how to oh spot my sex God. workers. Yes, and, Marriott hotel chains. Yeah, oh just, my God! You know the yeah the 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 rippling effect on freedoms is, yeah. is, is yeah. quite chilling. Did you know that there is an app that's currently live that encourages people to take photos of their hotel rooms and post them to like this this service so that they can like spot human trafficking yeah 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 so so, so when they so the ways they see pictures of quote human trafficking victims they can they'll know what hotel yeah and really what it does is you find you know you have some sex worker who's like hey you know getting ready or whatever takes a selfie in their room and now the cops know that not only is this person a sex worker they're also in this hotel maybe in this room maybe in this room Mm -hmm. and yeah especially in the u.s like instant arrests like it's horrible yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's we we don't we don't need Big Brother like Big Brother is us. We've got our yeah. our cameras and we're taking pictures and uploading it to the cloud. Yeah, honestly, I'm not saying that exploitation doesn't exist because it absolutely does, but the current legislation SESTA FOSTA is like the reefer madness of sex work. And yeah. Maggie McNeil who writes the Honest Curtisan blog talked about it. Basically, where the 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 crackdown on sex work is very much going to be like the war on drugs in the 80s and 90s and honestly the 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 associations and the similarities are absolutely astonishing <laughs> yeah the the things um the things that give me hope are the are the fact that 
um, that laws are routinely struck down when they uh, do not accomplish the thing that they set out mm-hmm. to do and have uh, dramatic uh, unintended consequences. Yeah, speaking of that, actually, because this is sort of like our silver lining right now. So the Nordic model got enacted in 2014, and um, I can't remember what the actual phrasing was, and I'm probably going to say it badly, but basically the long and short of it is that they have to be reviewed every five years to see if what they're doing is valid to what their aim was. It's called validity in the academic world, like testing validity. And so it's 2019. They're going to have to review the Nordic models to see if it's it's meeting it, the aims that it set out to do. Okay. Hopefully yeah. we have the right people saying the right things at the right time so that it can get overturned. That would be absolutely lovely. So, yeah, there's there's all the more reason to write to and call your local... Yes provincial or state politicians, national politicians, yeah. and and demand um, an end to criminalization. Yeah, Canada, write your MLAs, write your MPs, write the Prime Minister, talk to them about like what their stance is on the Nordic model and if it's having an effect and give their per- your personal experience if you have one. In the U.S., write your freaking senators. You know, like, p- if your voice is heard, there's nothing to do but pay attention. Like, there's only so much la-la-la with the ears plugged that they can do before the screams get too loud. We need these voices yeah. right now. Yeah. It's and really we, critical to our survival. And we need everyone to speak up. Yes. And especially if you've got the layers of privilege. Like, use that fucking privilege. Yes, and don't speak over people who are marginalized. Yes. Use your privilege to invite the platforms for them to speak themselves. People who are marginalized have voices too and they've been talking about this longer and more loudly than we have. It's just that because marginalization and privilege are a thing, their voices are being ignored. You know, apathy is very real and it's dangerous. So if if you're a sex worker who's white and cisgendered and you know plenty of people who are um, people of color who are sex workers or trans sex workers who are talking about stuff or disabled sex workers who are talking about stuff, say, hey, you know, this person just asked this question. Would you mind telling them what you told me or what you talked about a few months ago? Like, allow them to reiterate what they've already said. Yeah. What we've been saying is not news. It's been going on since crackdowns have taken place. So what are other ways that people can be better allies to sex workers. Oh. <laughs> there are Short plenty. <laughs> Short list. Okay, so let's see. Um, the biggest thing that I would say, because lots of people love their porn, pay for your porn. There are so many ways that you can contribute, and there are so many places where where porn is being distributed up to and including personal websites where they directly sell clips. If you're getting your porn for free, the performers are not being paid, and they need to pay their rent, too. Pay for your porn, please. Um, the other thing that I would say pretty highly is... If you know or have made jokes about dead hookers, stop making them, stop laughing at them, call out people who make them, and call out productions in the media who use us as dead hooker tropes. Mm. It's not okay, it's never been okay, and all it does is increase stigma. If you want to normalize sex work, you call out the people who do these sort of things, and you don't support them with your money. Your money talks. Um, 
The other thing is that, you know, understand stigma. stigma. Um, if, you know, even if you know someone who's a sex worker or someone who's exited sex work, the stigma follows you wherever you go. Um, and it's much more difficult for people leaving the sex industry to find straight work as a result of this stigma. Um, so if you're someone who is going to be hiring people and you find out that, you know, someone who's super qualified is a sex worker, please don't let that deter you from actually giving them a chance just because they've been a sex worker doesn't mean that they're going to offer to blow you for more money that's not how the world works you know chances are they're not really that attracted to you anyway you know don't take it personally and uh, and, and i think don't out them yeah right? and don't. oh and don't out them don't out sex workers for any reason whatsoever i don't care if it's like oh my sister used to strip and she told me no don't do it it doesn't matter um and you, by outing people, all you're doing is increasing their danger. It's, there's more likelihood that they're going to be added to doc sheets where all their personal information is being spread. And, you know, like, really all it does is put this big red mark on them that marks them as other. It's not okay. Um, the only people who should be outing sex workers are sex workers talking about themselves. The end. Um, and, and honestly, the only other thing I would really mention is if you, if you are on say social media where you're listening to these conversations being held, don't just listen to white sex workers. Uh, I know I've said this already. Listen to all kinds of sex workers from all areas of marginalization. Listen to poor sex workers. Listen to people of color sex workers. Listen to trans sex workers. Listen to disabled sex workers. You know, listen to survival sex workers. Listen to all of them. Uh, we all have different voices and, like what I'm saying as a queer, um, gender fluid white person is a drop in the bucket to this vast sphere of knowledge that is sex work. Like what I'm saying is not the be all end all. Everyone's got their own perspectives and there's so much knowledge that you can find from, you know, other communities that aren't white. You know, listen to everybody. Don't just listen to the people that you relate to because of your skin color. And a lot of people although they don't really realize it, do do that, you know, and, well, and, and that has and, to change. And in some cases you, you may need to hustle to find those voices mm -hmm. because the, a lot of the time, the most vocal voices are going to be the most privileged. As Absolutely. Well. So, you know, the higher up the hierarchy and less uh, in terms of, um, you know, uh, intersectional marginalization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that actually brings me to another point, too. Like, if you're hearing people using derogatory language against sex workers, call them on their crap. Mm -hmm. You know, like, if you're hearing someone make hooker jokes or, you know, oh, I saw this hoe on stage and, you know, she did this dance and, you know, it was awesome. I got really hot. Like, why don't you just say, you know, n not to be rude, but why are you being such a jerk right now? <laughs> like, don't be a sleazeball. This is a human being that we're talking about. Like, we're not just like these other people who, who like expose our bodies for money. We're human beings first, just like anybody else. So treat us like that. Well, I, I, um, just a, a little tangent. It, it reminds me of, of, uh, many years ago when, um, when people were so offended that Miley Cyrus was now a sexual being and was, you know, and, um, you know, people yeah. were, were talking about how shocked they were at her performance. And a friend of mine said, you know, I know that every single one of you has looked at, 
at the most disgusting porn that we could imagine in the last week. Mm -hmm. And here you are slut-shaming this woman Mm -hmm. for doing a dance on stage. Shame on you guys. Yeah, get a grip. She's an adult. She can do what she wants. Yeah, and so, (laughs) so, you know, like, a lot lot of the people who, um, you know, who who use this derogatory language, you know... um, that that person was watching a stripper. You were you were participating in the same transaction that the stripper was, just mm-hmm. on the client side. So, um, so yeah, maybe maybe be aware of the fact that um, that you know they're you're you're in the same space that they are. Mm-hmm. And so much of it is that you know it's only okay for the patriarchy and capitalism to you know put these like to allow the stripper to strip and and you know the the patriarchy can can use that view and and their side of the transaction is okay but yeah. the fact that the the person taking their clothes off is sexualizing themselves and getting money out of it and stuff then that's the problem no kidding. and how dare they and it's yeah, the no same kidding. with miley it's the same with kim kardashian it's the same with all of this stuff is like how dare you yeah do this it, yourself yeah there's something to be said about you know um these laws being in place to protect the sex workers yet somehow it's only the sex workers who get penalized for anything and the yes. clients walk away scot-free yep. like think about your position in this and really is it accurate to what reality is Whew, wow, that was uh, quite a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that got intense, didn't yeah. it? <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and talking. Oh, with it was my pleasure, truly. The more that people talk about sex work, the easier it's going to be to lift the stigma. So honestly, like, just talk to people and get information. Yeah. It's It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing or anything to be ashamed of. And especially for those of us who are sort of in the, like, kind of sex work adjacent industries like you know we're, we're talking about sex on a podcast yeah you know, we we have a website you know i review toys like you know my sexuality is part of you know how yeah. how i do this stuff so you know so often you know the hierarchy comes into play and it's like oh well i don't do that but but no <laughs> like we're we're all connected yeah sex adjacent industries for, fall under the hierarchy in some ways just as much as sex workers do because you know you're oh. talking about how toys affect your body and you know promoting these things and and so in some ways the stigma ends up falling on you as well and it's it's it can be really i don't know what the word it is and it, it can be quite a shame you know to to see that and yeah. So like, but it gives I us see even, you. Even, but it gives us all the more reason to support sex workers. Yes, exactly. Like it, it, you know, like you know, we're all on the same team. Yes, like, let's like get let's get yeah. behind. We we can't be divided because if we do that, the whole thing is just going to fall apart. We need to be united and be in solidarity with each other and like have each other's backs if we're going to make any movement in this to keep ourselves alive. Well, and a lot of the a lot of us who are sex work adjacent, we have privilege in the vanilla world. Right. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we can talk to people who who don't talk to sex workers. Yeah. And so go team sex, go team sex, <laughs> smash the hierarchy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like, I feel like you need to make some t-shirts. <laughs> That would be rad. I'm, I think oh I think Smash the Horrorky is actually already a thing. Oh, okay. but but I'll, we'll have to figure something out. There's a really good one I just found a few days ago. Um, someone makes these stickers out of Ontario, and it says "Peg the Patriarchy," and it makes me so happy. <gasps> You're wearing this shirt. Oh, I wasn't actually staring at your breast, but now that I am, oh, thank yeah, thank God, someone knows this that isn't me. <laughs> no, it's Luna Matadas. Yes, um, out of Ontario, and does the t-shirts and yes. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So where can we find you online? Why don't you tell us uh, the places that everybody can follow you and get more info? 
All right, so my website is empoweringsexuality.ch. Don't use .com. It's been shut down. <laughs> um, so empowering, E-M-P-O-W-E-R-I-N-G, sexuality, S-E-X-U-A-L-I-T-Y.ch. On Twitter, I am at empowering.sex. Um, those are the two primary places you can find me. I'm occasionally on Reddit, but, yeah, if you want to track me down, tw- Twitter's probably your best place. Awesome. Yeah. So are there any final thoughts you want to leave us with, or should we... uh... I think I've blabbed enough for one day. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, there's so much more that we could go on about, but that would be basically... Like we'd be going for for a long time, not just today. Like, but part five, part eighteen, one thousand one hundred and two. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the wet coast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for listening. The audiobook version of my book, Yelling and Pasties, The Wet Coast Confessions of an Anxious Slut, is now available on Audible and iTunes. It's also available on ebook and paperback. Go to Amazon.com or visit OnTheWetCoast.com for links to other marketplaces. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platforms to help more listeners find us. Just a few sentences make a huge difference in our visibility. Contribute to our Patreon to help us have more adventures to tell you about. Patreon.com slash on the wet coast. And shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Rex. Thank you, Rex. Thanks, Rex. Follow us on Twitter at Wet Coast Cat, at Sirius Flick, at On the Wet Coast. And you can email comments or questions to contact at onthewetcoast.com. Go to onthewetcoast.com for Cat's blog and more, or find them over at lifeonthesphinxset.com. And find more sex-positive podcasts on the Swingset Network at swingset.fm. Hi, this is Emily, co-host of the Multiamory Podcast. We offer new ideas and advice for multiple forms of love, everything from conscious monogamy to ethical polyamory and radical relationship anarchy. And you're listening to a Swingset Network podcast. Find us and much more at swingset.fm. A friend of mine who's a nurse, she told me the medical term for dickhole. It's urinary metis, which I think is even better. <laughs> I know. I know. Anything with metis just makes it ten times better. <laughs> <laughs> metis. Metis.